The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord. The crowds asked John the Baptist, What should we do? He said to them in reply, Whoever has two cloaks should share with the person who has none, and whoever has food should do likewise. Even tax collectors came to be baptized, and they said to him, Teacher, what should we do? He answered them, Stop collecting more than what is prescribed. Soldiers also asked him, And what is it that we should do? He told them, Do not practice extortion. Do not falsely accuse anyone and be satisfied with your wages. Now the people were filled with expectation, and all were talking in their hearts whether John might be the Christ. John answered them all, saying, I am baptizing you with water, but one mightier than I is coming. I am not worthy to loosen the thongs of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire, exhorting them in other ways. He preached good news to them. News to the people. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord exhorting them in many other ways he preached good news to the people when we think of good news uh, the gospel is the good news of jesus christ right and a lot of times when we think about the good news of jesus christ we think about the good news of his salvation right the good that he's done for us and that is certainly the heart of the message of the good news However, part of the good news is also the repentance that he calls forth from us. The repentance uh, and the changing of our ways and what he asks us to do. St. John the Baptist teaches a lot about actually what we're obligated to do. If we have two, right? People ask him, what should we do? And he starts out with them as, Basically, uh, do good. You know, if you have two cloaks, you know, give away one. If you have more food, give away. And then he gets asked again by other people, yeah, but, but what should we do? Because we don't really want to do that, is what I kind of feel like in some ways. And then he tells them, right, avoid sin, right? Don't exhort people, right? Stop collecting more than what you ought want, right? Be satisfied with the wages. Just kind of that bare minimum. Okay, don't sin, right? But ultimately, I hope that we're called to more than just avoidance of sin. We're called to love and be charitable. And I hope that we're at the point where we already know, hopefully, we're not practicing extortion, right? We're not collecting more than what is already prescribed to us. And hopefully, we're avoiding sin and trying to avoid that. And so, what are some other things that we can do that the Lord is asking us? The good news of telling us how to live and how to be closer to God. Well, one of the things that he says is whoever has two cloaks should share with a person who has none. Now, I think we all have, maybe we don't have an actual cloak, you know, right? Uh, Maybe in your closet. But you certainly have more than one jacket, right? And you've learned as being in the military, as having the PCS overseas, is that you know that you can survive with a lot less than what you have on a normal basis, right? Living out of a suitcase at different times and you know, kind of going from small, you know, hotel to hotel and kind of making it, right? It's amazing what we can survive with 
if, we need, if we need to. Now, it's not very comfortable, absolutely. Um, but interestingly enough, we're not exactly called for a co- comfortable life in the Christian world. And so, um, I'd like to share one quick, just awesome connection with this kind of giving forth of our cloak that we're called to, of a, a connection here at this chapel. St. Martin de Tours was a Roman soldier in about the 4th century. And tradition has it that he was going into the city one day and he saw a, a beggar who was you know, lightly clad. And so he was you know, cold. And so one of the things that a cloak was in John the Baptist's day, as well as at that time, that it was more than just a jacket to be worn when it was cold out. But it was often what you slept in. It was what kept you warm during the day and night, right? And so St. Martin, having a large cloak, cuts it in half and gives half to the beggar. That night he would have a dream that Jesus appeared to him with his cloak, thanking him for that gift. And some traditions have that miraculously the cloak grew back again to full length. Uh, But that cloak would actually be kept uh, and honored because St. Martin de Tours would end up becoming a monk, a hermit, but also a priest, and would end up being called forth out of the monastery, out of kind of that hermit life, to actually become a bishop, one of the greatest, one of the greatest bishop of kind of his time. And that cloak that this is all kind of connected with was actually kept as a relic. And so when some of the kings and emperors uh, kind of went around waging their wars, um, hopefully in a good way, right, in defense, in a, in a Christian sense, um, they would bring that relic along with. Now, the word for uh, cloak is chapa. And so the area in kind of the tent that was set up over the chapa was the chapala, which now was kind of, which is kind of for little cloak. So it's a little cloak that covers the cloak, right? The relic. And actually, that's what we have today from the word chapel, that we're actually part of a chapel, uh, we're not part of a parish or an established church because we're kind of moving around. There's not an established community here. And so we're actually a chapel here. Interesting enough as well, the, the priest that took care of that relic was called uh, Chapelina, which now we have the modern term chaplain from, right? So just kind of a cool connection, I think, with us here today uh, in that. And but what I'd like to focus on is that gift of St. Martin de Pours, of Tours. Um, and what he gave was he gave what he had, which was just extra in some ways. Now, it wasn't extra in uh, a basic sense, right? Many would have said he was a fool to give that away, right? But he knew that he had uh, more to give. And so for ourselves, we look at that as well. And I think a lot of us, you know, don't have, you know, maybe you're not financially secure in the greatest way. Maybe you've got debts in other ways. Uh, maybe there's a lot that you'd like to be able to buy. What's interesting is that we need to actually be called forth uh, to actually give of ourselves in a greater way. And I'd like to say that almsgiving and tithing is an incredible, is something, is actually good news of the gospel. Now, I just want to preface this all with, although the religious offering fund that you donate here is helpful for us to do many things, ultimately, I don't care if you give a single cent to the ROF, because the lights are going to stay on, 
I'm going to get paid and things will continue, right? Uh, Because the Navy pays for that. Ultimately, tithing and almsgiving is less important for the church itself, although it is important for the church to be able to continue its mission to a certain degree, but it's especially important for you. It's the good news. The good news of if you have two cloaks, to give one away who doesn't have one. If you have extra food, give it away. right? And that's actually the good news that actually calls us forth that Jesus Christ does. And why is that good news? Well, money is a difficult thing. I don't think most of us have a love of money like Scrooge where, you know, we want to swim in an ocean of, you know, dollar bills and gold. You know, that's not very exciting. You know, like when we think about that, love of money in that way, okay, you know, maybe you don't like the smell of money, you know, okay, you don't have a love of money. Well, except for I would challenge all of us that love of money takes many different forms. It might not be the love of money in the sense of I love holding money, but love of money sometimes comes in the sense that I love money because I really like these experiences that I'm able to do with it, right? I want more money so that I can go on more trips. I want more money so that I can maybe have uh, more things, right? Because if I really had that pair of shoes or if I had that dress or if I had that right you know, jacket, then I would be secure, And that's the other thing that money sometimes does and that sometimes puts it in placement of God and in contradiction to God is that love of money, that love of security, right? Once I have the right retirement bank account, right? Once I have enough in savings, then I'll be secure, right? And that love of security in some ways can be a contradiction to the love of God because where are we ultimately placing our trust? Is it in our wages and is it what we can do and kind of provide for ourselves and our families or is it trusting in God? Now, trust of God doesn't mean that you uh, don't work, right? Uh, St. Paul is pretty clear. Like you work, you, you do what you have to, you, you, you know, it is good to have savings. However, if our trust is more in money, Right? If our anxiety is, I don't have enough money to survive, right? I don't have enough money and I need more. No, we don't need more money. What we need is more God. And tithing and almsgiving is a beautiful gift of that, of the good news. Because a lot of times financial problems doesn't come because you don't make enough money. I think that's a common perception uh, that if I just made a little bit more, then you'd be financially secure and you wouldn't have anxiety or wouldn't have to worry about money. But what we actually see is that every single stage of money, uh, people have money anxiety because what money does is you make more, you also spend more, right? And so as you get more, you expect more, and all of a sudden more and more and more. And so actually the, beautiful, the beauty of tithing and almsgiving is actually to be able to say, instead of more, I need to, I'm going to actually uh, make a sacrifice and want less. Right? I'm going to give away money and I'm going to actually make a sacrifice. I'm going to say, I'm not going to buy 
that new jacket because my jacket right now works just fine, right? I don't need a new one, right? Um, and this is an incredibly powerful spiritual activity that we need in many different ways because we never have enough money or time or, you know, all of the things that we want. We need to recognize and at times actually make a concrete and intentional sacrifice. Because that allows us to be able to say, yes, I don't have everything that I want. And there's a reason for that. Because I've given to God. I've given to the poor. And that helps free us from that love of money, which uh, Scripture speaks about so often that you cannot love God and mammon. Mammon being money. And that also love of money is the root of all evil. Greed, right? This love of money is a root of all evil. But beautifully, if we do give away uh, almsgiving, it says, cancels out a multitude of sins. In fact, in some ways, almsgiving is one of the greatest acts that we can actually do, as it speaks about in Scripture as well as in tradition. Because the love of money is often the thing that contradicts our love of God. And so when you give alms, you're downgrading that love of money, right? You're saying, I'm not going to put God or money above God, and it gives to the poor. Right? And Jesus identifies with the poor. And so here today, I just want you to think about, we're coming towards the end of the year, right? And um, I know that you'll be doing taxes, right? And so you'll be seeing how much you made throughout the year and, and also maybe how much you were able to tax deduct, right? How many donations did you have? And I would just encourage you to look at that, Right? And to be able to say, what do I intentionally give? Not just whatever I randomly have in my pocket at the time, whoever asks me, whatever change happens to give. But what do you intentionally and sacrificially give? Traditionally, in the Old Testament, it was a tenth of everything. A tithe. And a tithe means a tenth. And it was always kind of, and it was also important to give the first fruits. It's not after I collect my entire harvest then ah, I'll give the rotten fruit, you know, that I've kind of got left over. No, it's, it's really important to be able to give the first fruits, right? The first fruits of saying, God, I trust you so much and I know that everything is from you, so I'm going to give you my first fruits, not whatever I happen to have left over, right? Because a lot of times we don't have anything left over, right? Because we're greedy. <laughs> we, we like more and we can always use more. And so we need to give away in that. Now, for Christians, 10% is no longer the rule. It was kind of the idea of you give 10% to God, and then 90% was for whatever you wanted. Christians, we don't hold to that anymore. Now it's all God's, okay? It's not just 10%. Why is that? Because all of it, we recognize, is from God. All, everything that we've received is from God. Now, it doesn't mean that you have to give 100% to alms, okay? I think 10% is still a good goal. But the 90% doesn't mean that you get to do whatever you want with it, right? And now it's you, and now you don't have to worry about it, right? Um, 10% is a good goal because that is a sacrificial goal. Um, And maybe you're not there right now. So practically, just encourage you to look at where you're at. And maybe give 1% more this next year. Maybe 2% more the following year. I think it's a good goal to hit for 10% and maybe 5% to your local church uh, 
or your local chapel. Again, we use it and we're, it's incredibly helpful here. But if you have another church, I also encourage you, maybe that 5% is given to the Archdiocese for the Military Services, uh, which helps supply priests and other things by helping support from the Catholic ecclesial side and give 5% to some other charity, whether that's some specific almsgiving. My favorite is Catholic Cross Outreach, uh, which does um, a great, um, great job. And so liturgically, we have an offering that we're going to start again today, which is during the offertory to actually bring up money. And so money will be collected by the ushers, which is why we need more ushers to be able to help out in that way. And money will be collected at a very specific time in the liturgy, a time when the bread and wine is also brought forth as an offering, a humble offering, right? Bread and wine, pretty simple. It doesn't cost that much. But God transforms it into something amazing, making it his body, blood, soul, and divinity. And similarly, with the money and the sacrifice that you make as well with that, unify with the sacrifice that is here on this altar. And so that money that you give isn't just to keep the lights on. In fact, it's actually not to keep the lights on. The money that you give is offered to God, which is the good news, which helps us to love and trust God in a greater way and offer our sacrifice, not just of money, but also of time, also of talents, also of our love that might be transformed into something amazing here at this altar and might cancel out a multitude of sins and do good in ways in which we can never imagine. So again, the good news today is uh, this exhortation to not only avoid sins, but also to do good. We all have more than one cloak. (laughs) And I invite you uh, as St. John the Baptist to share with the person who has none.